Happy Sabbath, family of God. Happy Sabbath. Thank you for reading the scripture text, Dan. Um, you know, we worship the Lord in so many ways. We're worshiping him right now. We sing songs of praise. We pray. We pray for others. And there's a message for all of us in the Bible. Every Sabbath, we worship God. Why? Because it is in the commandments, the Ten Commandments. The Fourth Commandment says that we should worship the God who created the heavens and the earth. And that is why we, we worship on the Sabbath day, the seventh day. It always will and it always has been. I wanted to take a look at the scripture in Isaiah. You know, Isaiah was one of the greatest prophets that we have in the Bible. We're studying Isaiah this quarter. So there's many things that we can learn from the book of Isaiah, especially the prophecies. So taking a look at Isaiah 29 and verse 13. I'll give you a few moments to look that up. Isaiah 29, 13. I'm reading from the King James Version. I noticed, Dan, you read from the version that says precepts. Okay. This is from the King James Version. Do we have it? We have that text? Isaiah 29, 13. Wherefore the Lord said, for as much as this people draw near, near me with their mouth and with their lips, do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the, well, this says precept of men as well. And this is Isaiah, and you realize now that since Jesus also said that in Scripture, this is the fulfillment of prophecy. Now the text that Dan read from the Revised Standard Version in uh, the, the King James, it says here in Matthew 15, 8 and 9, but those things which proceed out of the mouth, come forth from the heart, but they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil... Actually, that's the wrong text. I have to go back. 15, 8, and 9? Yeah, 8 and 9. I saw 18. And, the people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. Now, precepts or rules, commandments is used here in the King James Version as the commandments of men. So it'd be commandments of men versus the commandments of God. 
And when you worship commandments or rules or precepts of men, you're not worshiping God. You cannot worship both God and man. Because if you try, one of them you will hate. In many cases, when you worship God in vain, you end up hating God. You end up hating God. So there's a difference in the, the version of the Bible um, with uh, the NIV and the King James. In studying and planning and preparing my message for today, I did a lot of thinking of places and events in the Bible that show men worshiping men and men worshiping God. Turn with me to the first chapter, not the first chapter, the first book, Genesis Genesis 6 and verse 5. Here we have the antediluvian or the uh, pre-flood uh, men. And they worship themselves, not God. And there was only one family, one person that found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And that was Noah and his family. The text says, the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. You know, Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If your heart is in yourself and in the things that you can acquire, then you're not worshiping God, you're worshiping self. And so it says every inclination of the thoughts of his heart and mind was only evil and all the time. Now, in, in this story, in this um, days of Noah, we find a great contrast. One is in the consequences the consequences of worshiping yourself or worshiping God. I would say that Noah worshiped God. I would say that he had the correct uh, altar and he had the, the correct way of worshiping God that God had asked for. It's the same thing that uh, Abel, he had that same type of offering and Noah, same thing. And you know that those who worship themselves during that time, their consequences was to perish in the flood. And I might say this, sadly, God pronounced judgment on them over a period of 120 years. It wasn't just one year. 120 years they were given. They were given 120 years per, uh, like a chance to turn back to God. You know, Noah preached 120 years. And none of them believed him. None of them. And you know what? Their decisions has eternal consequences. When we decide that we're going to obey God and not man, like, you know, Peter said that. 
You're trying to get me to obey you. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to obey God. So I'm very impressed with the lessons that we learn in the book of Genesis. Now, there is a story in Exodus. And you know, Exodus is filled with a, a great man. Who was this great man? Who would you say? Moses. Moses. And we know that God's plan for him all along was to be translated without seeing death. But you know what? Even though we're sorry that Moses could not enter the promised land, Jesus came back and resurrected Moses, took him to heaven. Jesus had to fight over Moses, too. He had to fight. Well, here we find Moses on the top of Mount Sinai, God's mountain. And he's with God. He's worshiping with God. Can you imagine worshiping God in his absolute presence? He couldn't see eye to eye with God, but God did let him see the backside as he was walking away. But he was up there so long that the people were saying, we need a leader. Moses is not our leader. And they, they begged Aaron, why don't you take our gold and make an idol? You know that's not what God wants, is to make an idol and worship that idol. God was so angry. In Exodus 32, God, he says, he says to Moses, I've seen these people that I'm blessing, and they are a stiff-necked people. That's not good to be stiff-necked. Leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them, and then I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. Well, was Moses worshiping God the way he should be? Yes, he was. But were the children of Israel there in the desert as they made uh, under Aaron, the high priest, under his direction to make a golden calf? Where in the world would they have ever gotten an idea to build a golden calf and dance around it? And their activities were not, were not moral. They were breaking every commandment that there is especially the first four, and number one, thou shalt have no other gods before me. God wanted to destroy Israel and make Moses and his descendants, the, the ones that would be blessed. Israel, they had to pay the consequences. You know, there's consequences or blessings for our worshiping, worshiping in vain or worshiping God in the way that we ought to. How do you think we should be worshiping God other than the prayer and the study and the fellowship together? Um, in all of that, that's good, but we need to make sure that we make God first. He is first, always first. It doesn't matter in your whole life. We need to make him first. We need to give him glory and honor and praise 
and thanks. This is what we do when we get together and we pray. We pray to God. We thank God. We praise God. We give him glory when we sing of his mighty power. That's the way we should be worshiping. You know, there's a consequence. When Moses came down with the Ten Commandments that God himself wrote with his own hand. I don't know if it was left hand, right hand, but God wrote it on the tablets. And Moses was angry. And when you study about it, he was so angry. He, wanted, he just smashed the, the Ten Commandments. He smashed it down. And he says, you're going to choose today who you're going to follow. Are you going to follow the commandments of men? Or the commandments of God. And you know, it was interesting that God had Moses melt down that idol. Melt down that idol. And he had them drink the whatever was melted down. Now, it had to cool off. It was too hot. But he said, okay, who's for me? Who's against me? It comes down to that. And the thing of it is that they paid the consequence. Israel, at that time, there was only a couple alive that would enter the promised land. The rest, they never got to see the promised land. They paid a consequence for that. And you know what? God is always fair. If we don't obey God and give him glory, one of them is to love one another as Jesus loves us. We're glorifying God when we do that. And when we take God as his, all of the promises in his word, and we do as he's asked, and he's fulfilling the promises, like we have the intercessory prayer. You know, at that same time, Moses had intercessory prayer, and he prayed to God, and he said, God, you have a promise to these people. Don't destroy them. Don't do it kill me instead. That is basically glorifying God. So I really like the story of Moses. And you know, in the end, what was the blessings that Moses would be experiencing? Yes, he never got to the, uh, the, uh, the land the flowing with milk and honey, the promised land, but he's in heaven today. Because God rewards those who seek him and obey him and worship him and glorify him. You know, the Ten Commandments, who, would, who, who knows where the Ten Commandments are found? Exodus 20. Deuteronomy 5, I think it is, yes. Anyways... We need to put these Ten Commandments. We need to read about it, pray about it, process them in our minds, and keep them in our hearts. You know, David, the psalmist, says, Thy word I have kept in my heart that I may not sin against thee. When we have the Ten Commandments in our hearts and save plenty of space for Jesus, we are going to be rewarded because in the Bible, in Revelation, it says that Jesus, when he comes again, he will bring his reward with him. And we can all have that same reward. Everlasting life with Jesus.
I'm impressed with Moses, and Moses was human. We know he was human. He wasn't without sin, but he repented of his sins, and God blessed him. He blessed him maybe more than Moses thought that he ought to be, but um, you know once said about Moses? He was the meekest man on the face of the earth. That didn't happen overnight. It happened throughout his lifetime. He had to unlearn 40 years of what Egypt taught him, and it took 40 years for God to teach him. And then another 40 years in the wilderness. If you think of that, his, his life, his time. It's interesting that Israel decided to build a calf because, in essence, in worshiping this calf, they were worshiping man and all of man's false gods, and they learned it in Egypt. Do you know in Egypt there is a god that's named Ra, named for the sun, the sun god. You know, the sun cannot be our god because the sun is created by God. We cannot worship any, anything created by God. So there are other false gods in Egypt. They built this big phoenix. It's like a bird. And they built uh, uh, the idols or building or whatever in the shape of a cat. So birds, cats, and they worship birds and cats. But these birds and cats that were idols were not alive. None of them were alive, and they couldn't do anything for the Egyptians or for Israel. In uh, the book of Judges, we find a judge, and he started out the way God would have him start out. Do you know who I'm talking about here in the book of Judges? I'll give you a hint. This man was the strongest in his time, Samson. You know, there were some things about Samson that showed that God would be instrumental in his life. Judges 13 tells us a bit about Samson. Samson started out really good, kind of like David, King David. And verse 4 it says here that the parents were not to drink anything from the fruit of the vine, fermented or not, and that they are not to eat anything unclean. And verse 5, because you will conceive and give birth to a son, we don't want you to ever cut his hair, no razor to be used on his head, because this boy is to be a Nazarite. What is a Nazarite? Not a Nazarene, because that's somebody from Nazareth, but a Nazarite. A Nazarite is a person set apart by God from their birth. He is to worship God, and he was to be a great judge. And under that judgeship of Samson, he was to begin a deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Now, why do we look at the Philistines? Why am I presenting the Philistines in this message? The Philistines had a God 
Dagon. And Dagon wasn't real, wasn't alive. They just built idols to Dagon. I don't know why they, they called him Dagon, but that is their god. You know, Samson, he kind of disobeyed God. He told his parents, I want you to go and get me this wife. She's from, uh, you know, the Philistines. She's one of them. And that marriage did not work. And then he fell into trouble with a woman named Delilah. And she found out where his strength lies. Where does, in this story, where does Samson's strength lie? It's a trick. God, you're right. God, not on the, the, the length of his hair, but in God. And by having his hair cut, I mean, he told Delilah, if you cut my, my hair, I can't get out of these ropes or chains. I can't break them. That's not very smart. Not very smart at all. And because they had tricked Samson in his first marriage, and they had tricked uh, Samson, he did something before he lost his power, before he had his hair cut. He did some things against the Philistines because he was mad. Just because he was mad. You know he once tied uh, foxes' tails in pairs, and there were, I don't know, 300? The number doesn't matter. But he went and he, he kind of like forced them to run through the crops of the Philistines. Boy, they were mad. They had no crops then. They were all burned to the ground. Not only that, but these foxes, these innocent foxes that he had killed because he set fire to them. This isn't what God's plan was. Also, he got angry one time, and he picked up, and he was with a thousand men, the Philistines, picked up a jawbone of a donkey or an ass, and he killed them all. He was pretty strong. I can't even imagine getting struck by a weapon by Samson. And now Samson, they find out his weakness is his hair, but he, it's really not his, yeah, his strength. It's not his strength. God is. And he spends many years at a mill pushing instead of the ox. Uh, they took his eyes out, and then he spent many years going around this mill, and he was, instead of an ox, he was grinding their, their grain. He had plenty of time to talk to God, and God talked to him. He said, you've really messed things up, haven't you, Samson? You have really messed up here. But after a certain period of time, I believe it was 30 years or so, anyways, the Philistines were going to worship Dagon in their temple. And that temple could actually have as many as 3,000. Now, that must have been a big temple. And they wanted to call Samson to entertain them. And when Samson uh, got to talk to whoever was basically leading him around, he says, would you put me in the middle of this temple between the big pillars that support the roof and everything? And the guy did. He didn't think anything of it. But, you know, by this time, nobody thought about it. 
But guess what? All these years, Samson's hair grew back. And in growing back, God was showing favor with Samson. And he prayed while he was at the pillar. And instead of reading the text, I can tell you, you can read about Samson in chapters 13, 14, 15, 16. Samson was very, very strong. You know, they said he killed a lion with his bare hands. I don't know of anybody that could ever do that. You know what? David might be one of those exceptions. Anyways, here you find Samson. He's between these pillars, and he's a, about to try to pull those pillars down so that the temple of Dagon, the temple of the Philistines, would fall down. And you know what? God was his strength. That's what we learned from this lesson. God was his strength. God can be our strength today. God can help us be faithful. God can help us worship him. All we have to do is say, yes, Lord, or I need you, or trust in the Lord with all your heart. That day, Samson killed more Philistines than he had his whole life. Counting the thousand that he killed with a jawbone of that animal, he killed 3,000. That was an accurate, or I don't know, close count. 3,000 men and women. They were, all of them, killed and destroyed. Well, do you know that Samson is found somewhere in the Bible in the New Testament? Do you know that? Let's take a look at Hebrews 11. What do we know about Hebrews 11? That is the faith chapter. How many of you realize that Samson's name is in that faith chapter? There's a reason for that. Hebrews 11 and verse 32. Hebrews 11:32. it says, And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about the works and the lives of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. You can include Isaiah, all the prophets. You know those who are included in this faith chapter, they are saved in the plan of redemption because of their faith. Today, we can have the same thing in our lives. Because of our faith in Jesus, because we keep his commandments, and that we follow Jesus, the Lamb, wherever he goes, we are saved for eternity, just like all of these. Moses and Samson. Now, I'm going to finish soon. Then you have a man that worshiped God, obeyed God most of the time. His name is Elijah. In 1 Kings chapter 18, we find the story of Elijah. Now, Elijah is very impressive. When God tells Elijah to do something directly, he does it. 
And in this case, 1 Kings 18, God tells Elijah, you need to go see Ahab, the king. And you know, the king wanted him dead. Jezebel wanted him dead even more. But God protected him. And 18 and verse 16. A friend of Elijah, Obadiah, he went over to meet Ahab and told him, I'm sending Elijah. It says, and Ahab went to meet Elijah, or actually um, Ahab was told to meet Elijah. And when he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, Elijah, troubler of Israel? And the next verse, 18, I've not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your family and your father's family, you have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now, Baal was their God. And here is another God. You know, we've got Ra, the sun god. We've got Dagon, the god of the Philistines. And Baal, the god of King Ahab in Israel. And, of course, all the other surrounding um, communities that did not obey God. Abandon God's laws and commandments and follow the Baals. Well, there was something that was very important for Elijah to say. And in verse 20, about halfway, no, 21, Elijah went before the people and he told all the people, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. Do you know that there were priests in the kingdom, 400 priests of Baal. And they were prophets too, actually 450, I guess it is. And Elijah set up this um, con um, contest. He challenged them, you set up your um, altar, I'll set up mine. We'll kill two bulls, you get one, I get one. And do whatever you want to, put the wood on it and put the bull on it that's cut up. And you pray to Baal, and you see if Baal hears you. And it's very interesting to me that after three hours, half the day, there was no answer. Baal didn't answer. And then Elijah mocked them and taunted them. And he says, why don't you shout a little bit louder in your prayer? Maybe he can't hear you. Maybe he's asleep or he's deep in thought. Or maybe he took a vacation and he's traveling somewhere. You have to waken him up. You have to shout loud enough so he can hear you. And you know what? They got so upset and they couldn't believe that Baal did not answer them. This is found later in 1 Kings 18, around uh, verses 27 and onward. It says that they slashed themselves with knives and javelins. That's crazy. And of course, they were all bleeding and everything, but they passed the middle of the day and they went on into the evening. Still no answer. 
And we know the story here where Elijah said, okay, put the wood on, put the, the cut up bull, and I want you to three times, not once, but three times, I want you to just flood that altar. Make that everything on it wet, and then dig a hole around it, trench around it, and that was filled with water. And then Elijah, he prayed his prayer, a humble prayer. He fell, it says, flat, prostrate, and he cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. God answered Elijah. He says, O oh Lord, you are God and you are turning their hearts back again. Or he's praying that they turn their hearts back again. Well, you know that the answer of the people there, they wanted to obey God and worship God. The fire came down and it consumed everything. It consumed the altar, the, the offering, the wood, the stones, and the dirt. Licked up the water, leaving just a hole. But God said to Elijah, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. And so Elijah seized them. You know, he had the help of every citizen. And he had the help of God. And it says they seized him, and Elijah had them brought down to Kishon Valley, and they were slaughtered. That was under the command of God. God commanded that this happen. Now, in this story, the 450 priests of Baal, they, they paid it for with their lives. And we know that Ahab and Jezebel, the same, same thing. But Elijah, he remained faithful. Now, can somebody tell me what was Elijah's reward? What happened to Elijah? He had one witness. And he left the mantle to Elisha. And the chariot came down and whisked Elijah to heaven. And some people today, they will say things like, Elijah didn't go to heaven, he wasn't translated, there was no flood. Well, you know what, I have to tell you, they're worshiping man. They are worshiping man. And it's like, we know that man is sinful, we know that man is corrupt. Why would we do that? Now going back, and this is um, the end of my message here, Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees. He was speaking to the scribes, probably Sadducees as well, and the, the ones that were, um, the ones that wrote the, the law, but it wasn't the Ten Commandments. It was their own set of rules. And Jesus was basically talking about them in front of the disciples and all of his followers, and all of the people there. And we know that the Pharisees, 
they wanted Jesus to do what they said. And again, we kind of know what their, what their um, reward is, if you can call it a reward. This was 2,000 years ago when Jesus said these things to the Pharisees. What are we to do today to show that we are followers of Jesus? We are to proclaim the three angels' messages, and we are near that time. We are near that time. And we know that those who proclaim Jesus coming again and worship him and we obey the commandments, we have a reward in heaven, right? Why wouldn't we take that reward over anything that man can give to us? Why wouldn't we do that? You know, it says that people sometimes worship in vain. I believe that God's people worship because of love. They do it because of love. And of course, the reward is something we can't hardly imagine today. But it is an everlasting life with Jesus in heaven and in the new earth. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time when we can give you glory, honor, and praise. And thanks for all that you do for us. Lord, help us to worship you the God, the only true God in this entire universe, because you are our creator and you are our savior. All these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.